USA is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got a big free. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course, with you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. Glad to be back on the air with you, trying to bring forth a little bit of sanity in this time where we are suffering from a huge amount of insanity, uh, mostly by design. Mostly by design. That's the point. Uh, we've talked a long time uh, in conservative circles about the level of gaslighting that's been going on from the globalist elitist left. And uh, now we've moved well beyond the point of gaslighting, and, and we're, we're just at that next level. They're the crazy ones, but they're trying to convince us that we're the crazy ones, and it just continues to be a, a big crazy mess. Now, I've been struggling as of late to try and uh, get all my uh, technical issues squared away. Uh, it's been a case of situations with internet service providers not quite doing what they're supposed to do. And I've had an ongoing issue with BTR to the point that I am really, really just I I'm having to learn a whole bunch of new tech and invest in some new equipment so that I can take the whole show to a completely different platform. Uh, I will continue to upload, and for the time being, till I can get everything going, I will continue to have at least one show a week live over at BTR as well, as I am 
uh, still trying to schedule some guests, just so it's just not me here doing my usual spill uh, for the whole time that we're together. I know you guys like that. Occasionally broken up just a little bit uh, with, you know, occasionally different voices. But regardless of all that, uh, as we continue to move forward, uh, I am learning more about uh, the technical side of the things I've been doing, where I've been previously just relying an awful lot on software and technology. And I'm getting a better appreciation for all the folks that used to do this the old school way. You know, old school radio folks, they, they still have a lot of stuff to, to teach you. But part of not being on BTR as much as I've also kind of been away from listening to some of the the broadcasts that I normally do, the other folks that are host over there. But today, at the time of the live broadcast, of course, being February 2nd, 2021, today I did make a point of stopping by and catching as much of Chief's show as I could. And of course, if you're a long-time listener uh, to the broadcast and you're familiar with Chief and uh, his show uh, over at blogtalkradio.com, uh, it's of course titled Simple Facts of Life. And uh, today, Chief, he was really kind of lamenting the fact that a lot of things have changed in our country. And, you know, we expect change. You know, change can be good, change can be bad, change can be neutral. Some societal changes are for the best, even though they don't necessarily seem like it at the time. Some societal changes are for the worse, even though they don't seem like it at the time. That's kind of where we're at right now. As a conservative, we have been trying desperately to warn everyone out there, to warn everyone of what the potential results are going to be of electing these leftists, of, of electing and installing uh, barely there Beijing Biden, putting Kamala Harris in as VP for ever amount of time that for initiating Operation P pads and knee pads, as I affectionately refer to this administration, there would be there would be repercussions. I mean, all all elections have consequences; they do. And again, we are now seeing this this idea, this this push. From folks on the left uh, to just go full blast into doing everything that conservative voices like myself, like Ann Ubellis, like Don Smith, even Chief, and a ton of other folks, uh, Rod Eccles, Ron Edwards, the list goes on and on and on. Things that we warned you were going to happen if these people were installed as the next administration as the next regime and we're seeing it full blast they're doing exactly what we warned you they would do and the whole time they're smiling and still denying that they're going to do it and they're saying that we're misinterpreting what they said and we'll take a look at some of that but in this first hour i'm going to focus quite a bit today on some school related stories that strangely enough have nothing to do with 
the massive number of executive orders that have been signed by uh, Operation PPAD. And we'll ignore some of the other things that have recently been said from Operation NEPAD. Uh, as these folks continue to go about doing their business of trying to control and manipulate what we have to say. Now, one story goes directly to this, but I wanted to start with some school stuff. But I kind of decided to call an audible going online after listening to Chief earlier because Chief is kind of feeling some of the same stuff that I've been feeling. What a lot of other conservative commentators who are not at that tier one, tier two level in conservative talk radio have been experiencing because we are the ones who don't have the huge platforms to begin with. So we are far easier to cancel. We are far easier to be removed. And the more we have to say, the less we're able to say it. Now, some of us are being pressured. Some of us are being told we can't continue to express our opinions freely. Some are legitimately scared. Some of us, just people like myself, just not smart enough to shut up when I should. That's that's my way of trying to be humorous about it. But at the end, it, it makes me angry and it makes me sad, and it does make it hard sometimes to get behind this microphone and continue to talk to all you fine folks who still have the opportunity to listen. There's a reason why my numbers are stronger outside of the United States right now, because I know I'm being throttled. I'm probably one of the few conservatives left that has a presence on Twitter. But again, that has a lot to do with the fact that because I'm barely there, I'm not on Twitter enough for them to look at me and say, "Yeah, we need to go ahead and boot them. It's like, when does he show up? What does he share? Now, I'm sure it's still coming, though. It's not going to matter. I'm just so far down that list. They just haven't gotten to me yet. Way too many people that are they need to, to silence first. And they continue to tell us, no, this isn't what we're doing. And now, now they're telling us that, no, no, we're not really interfering with your freedom of speech. We're just reducing your reach. Oh, congratulations, lefties. Once again, you've managed to, to create a really great bumper sticker. Yay, bumper stickers are us. Good sloganeering. But at the end, what does it still mean? When you reduce my reach, you are interfering with my speech, unless you're reducing everyone else's too. Not just me because you disagree, but also a lot of other people that you do agree with, but eh, they're not as important either. Now, the elitism, you expect that will eventually kick in. Right now, they need all you left-leaning folks out there to be on their side to help make it happen. That cancel culture leftist group that are running wild on Twitter, happy to see every conservative voice go, happy to pretend like every white conservative Christian male in the United States is just as bad as the people that harmed, injured, killed police officers on January 6th. Embrace every QAnon and wild, crazy conspiracy theory out there. 
See, they want to pretend like every Republican is the same as the very worst Republican. They want to go find somebody. Uh, some of these folks still act like uh, Westboro Baptist is the face of all Christianity. I got to say, I disagree with those folks in a lot of things. First and foremost, a funeral is not the right place to have a protest. You want to protest somebody's actions, do it while they're still alive. Don't protest at a soldier's funeral because you think that an idea like don't ask, don't tell is an abomination to God, which according to the scripture, there's a good case that you might be right there, but you don't go to their funerals to do that business. Come on. That is not the face of Christianity. I am not representative of every conservative in this country. I'm certainly not representative of every Republican because I don't really see myself as being a party loyalist. I'm not a Trump loyalist either, but I will tell you, out the gate, I was not on the Trump train. Watching how Trump did his job, he convinced me that he had the best interest of this country at heart. Not by his words, but by his deed, by the policy that was passed. And I don't care if he was behind every single one of it or some policy guru was behind him and he rubber stamped it. That was fine. I'm okay with getting stuff rubber stamped at this point as long as it's what's good for America because we dang well had eight years of rubber stamps from Obama when you knew he wasn't doing it and we've now had a few days of rubber stamps coming from uh, Operation PPAD. Barely there. Biden's just signing stuff, making some statements for the few minutes that he's coherent every day and just trying to sign away into the the leftist so-called progressive wish list. Well, that's got to come to an end. That wish list is the most dangerous thing that can happen to this nation. Oh, Tim, that's your white supremacy, white privilege showing. You're just concerned that you're being marginalized. Every person in this country should be concerned about being marginalized if the the cause of that marginalization is based on ideology. Now, if I'm involved with a roundtable discussion and I say something utterly ridiculous and then I become marginalized and ridiculed as a result of it, because it was obvious to all who participated, people that generally agree with my normal philosophies and those that don't, that's one thing. That's me paying a price for something I said. But if I'm going to be marginalized right out the gate just because of some immutable characteristic, if I'm going to be the popular bad guy just because it's an easy target in the current political climate, then it's not marginalization that concerns me, it's liberty that concerns me. There's a reason we don't have a democracy. And we do not have a democracy, by the way. We are supposed to have a republic. We're supposed to have a constitutionally federated republic. 
Donald Trump won me over by keeping as many promises as he could, by keeping these promises at a click that embarrassed every politician that had come before him because he set a high bar. It's part of the reason why they want him erased from the history. And he embraced the Federalist part of our system more so than even Ronald Reagan. He is the only standalone world leader at the time that did not use COVID-19 as an excuse to expand the federal government or his own authority. Now, there are people whining and crying and bellyaching. Why wasn't there a better federal response? Because there are a ton of things that in our nation, our union of states, the federal government is not supposed to have a response. I was listening to Glenn Beck for just a little bit yesterday. And he was making this point. It was near the end of the show. I just caught a little bit. It just happened to to be available. And and usually when I hear Glenn, if he's going on, if he's having one of his storytelling moments, I'll stop and hang around because he is good at storytelling. Whatever else you may or may not think about him, he's a great storyteller. And he made a point that I wrote a lot about. But I realize that I've kind of been hitting on the same idea for a bit now and just haven't spelled it out bluntly. And that is, it used to be a joy to travel in this country. Because we used to understand that every community, every state, every geographical region that had its own unique flair, it had its own unique personality. If you were from the Midwest and you were to visit the South, you would see things were a lot different. And if you hung around long enough, you would soon be able to tell the difference between North Georgia and South Tennessee. And that used to be part of what made it fun to travel. You would see things. You would meet people who were like you in so much that they breathed and yearned for liberty, that they breathed and yearned for freedom, that they considered themselves to be Americans. But at the same time, they were different. And it was okay to be different. It was fun. It was it was exciting. It was exotic, even, in some cases. You let somebody from where I grew up travel out to California, hang out uh, in San Francisco, uh, out near Chinatown, or out by the bay itself. Just phenomenal. It, it couldn't have been a better trip for me to have left the country and seen something wild and unusual. And, and the best part is you didn't have to leave because we don't have that anymore. So many people have lost the idea, even the very notion that somehow it's okay to be different. It's okay to not have to conform to what the politically correct lot has bestowed upon us, has demanded from us. Those very notions, those ideas, they've become lost. And it's all part of 
political correctness. It's all part of the cancel culture, which I love the fact that the left fully engage in and then deny that it exists until the minute it happens to them. Unless somebody on the right starts pushing back and try to use some of their own tactics, and then they're like, well, uh, what about the fact that you said it's wrong? Oh, so it's the whataboutism we're back to, is it? Well, what about you not criticize me for doing something that you're doing? See, in my mind, if something's wrong, it's wrong. I don't like engaging in it. But I don't mind pointing out that when they do something that steps outside of the standards that they hold for someone else, that there's a level of hypocrisy. Now, if I was engaged in the same behavior, then that would make me just as bad. In fact... A few years back, we had a state representative here in uh, my home district here in Tennessee, and uh, you know, she was a little firebrand. She was a spunky, uh, all fired up and ready to, to go uh, Republican uh, right out the, the gate. And, and then she did a few things that uh, kind of drew the ire of the party. And she fell out of favor within the district, and she was replaced by somebody who was, well, as it turns out, a little more establishment Republican, if you will, but still votes reasonably conservative, so an acceptable substitute. The thing is, I, I really did like her early on because I liked her passion, and I liked the fact that she genuinely cared. In fact, she was one of the first guests on my show, if you want to go all the way back uh, to the, uh, the, the the archives far enough back. And, and you're welcome to. You can visit Tap Into the Truth. You can visit Blog Talk Radio. You can Bridget, uh, visit Spreaker.com. You can go way back, and you can find my uh, conversation with this young lady. At the time, it was one of the most heavily listened to broadcasts. Uh, of course, that was a point in time when I was pulling down huge numbers uh, off of BTR alone, and that that doesn't happen anymore. But uh, I was really thinking, man, if I could monetize this this stuff, it's easy. I'm having a blast. But at any rate, the point being is, as much as I liked her, she still started engaging in some behavior that. Well, I'm not personal behavior, but uh, behavior as far as her voting record that we had criticized, we being conservatives slash Republicans, had criticized from the Democrats for the nearly 100 plus years that the Democrats had had control of the Tennessee state legislature. And my stance, I, I want people to stand on principles. And if you're going to complain about those principles, you should stand up. And the point of the matter was, is suddenly we were doing the same thing that the other side was doing and acting like, well, since they did it, that made it okay. We're establishing the precedent. Well, they established the precedent. Now we're just following through. We're going to use their own tools against them. That's where we're at politically. There's no good way to fight against political correctness. There's no good way to fight against cancel culture. You can only stand up and try to create your own platforms. Create your own sphere of influence. And so that's what a lot of people have started doing to back it up. 
I'm still fingers crossed hoping that Parlor finds a way to get back up and going because I really, really liked Parlor. Now, meanwhile, I'm still trying to spend time at Cloud Hub and I do still share links at Spreely and Gab and uh, other places. I, I'm over at MeWe. I don't share as much over there as I should. Don't spend as much time there. Um, but the point still is, I, I'm still on Facebook, although at some point I probably do need to just cancel my accounts there, close them down, because the only thing that's really going to get their attention is when the advertising dollars go away, because there's not enough people there for them to show their ads to. Same thing for Twitter. That's what really is going to hurt these people. They've, they've got their ideology. They believe in that uh, darkness standard. They, they're okay with it. But once it's all said and done, the only thing that's really going to get their attention, the only thing that's going to keep them in line is the dollar bills. Keep in mind that the net worth of these folks sitting at the top of these social media companies that have the lion's share of the market a lot of it's tied up in stock in their own company, and if that the value of that stock goes down, suddenly their net worth goes down, then you get their attention in a hurry. It's part of the reason why all these folks got so worked up about the GameStop uh, stock bit, which, by the way, uh, I think is kind of silly. Uh, it is something that a lot of people have talked about, and I've been asked about it. I, I've barely broadcasted since it occurred and, and have not went anywhere near it really to this point because I was kind of waiting to see how everything played out. And first and foremost, I'm glad to see that the Reddit folks are still continuing to look for market weaknesses and try to manipulate them to continue to show these folks how much of a game it is. And how quickly the federal government is prepared to step in and try to protect the big boys. On the one hand, I don't like the idea of trying to manipulate the markets either way. That's kind of why I transitioned to this. It plays with this other idea. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Now, I don't like the idea of the short sell in the first place. But the the market guys that I've talked to assure me that it's one of the necessary tools to try to help make sure that momentum doesn't overtake and, and create unreasonable uh, price valuations for some of these companies. It's like, okay, fair enough, but how about people just do their research? And he's like, Tim, Tim, there's not that many people that do their own research. If they did, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't get to be the market guru that I am if everybody did their own market research. And he's got a point. Uh, there's only so many things you can research in a day, especially if you work 40 hours or more at a day job, which, believe it or not, there's still some of us that get to do that, and yay for those of us who can, and thank goodness. Fortunately, I did not work for a company that uh, Joe Biden decided uh, needed to be done away with yet. Fingers still crossing, hopefully the... Uh, $15 an hour minimum wage raise that's upcoming doesn't negatively affect the company I work for to the point that they have to start cutting back. And when they start looking for places to cut back, it may come to the fact that they've got a couple of folks that uh, 
they feel like can take on my responsibilities, split up between them, take care of it. And as upset as I would be at losing my job, I still would understand. I wouldn't be happy about it, but I'd get it. A lot of people still have a long way to go. Fortunately, we, we have such great and wise leaders in D.C. that are fully prepared to uh, let us know that the time has occurred. Time has arrived. Some of these jobs will just have to be sacrificed, right? Because that's where we're at. Got to sacrifice these jobs. In <sighs> life, Graham. All right, anyway, the the point here is I, I don't like the market manipulation. I don't like the idea that you can make money on short selling in the first place. It, it's a To me, it's counterintuitive to trading or to investing to literally bet on a company to fail. It's worse if you take the steps to try and manipulate and try to create that failure. When you put undue pressure on a company that's already struggling, but has a chance to make it, and then your manipulation ends up preventing them from coming through the tunnel. And let's face facts. It should not be legal. I don't care how else you spin it. It should not be legal to short sell more shares of a company than actually exist. I mean, GameStop was being short sold 140%. These hedge funds deserved to have to pay a price for that. Hopefully, more than anything, a few folks have come to realize the, how volatile the market can be and the truth behind it. In the meanwhile, we are right about that midway point for the first hour. We'll be doing multiple hours today, but uh, we will do the usual breaks and whatnot, so uh, let's... Uh, Let's take that first break, and we'll do the first Edwards Notebook. We've got a new Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day, along with a new scheduled appearance upcoming of uh, Dan Perkins. So I've been saying for a while, long overdue. Well, we've got him on the schedule now, and hopefully we can be able to make that happen without technical glitch. And we will also begin the first of what I hope to be many Second Amendment public service announcements from the good guy good gun host <laughs> alright you guys stay right where you're at I'll be right back after this uh, extended break it is both amazing and frightening to witness millions and millions of adult Americans being dictated to by elected officials who were elected to represent them hello I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, Rahm Emanuel said never let a good crisis go to waste. So true to form, the Corona China virus scandemic crisis was foisted upon our republic and used as an excuse to lock our economy down and force churches to close in order to break down the largest segment of job creation also and decimate the American middle class. No governor or mayor is operating in good faith or in the best interest of the citizenry if they dare to lock down or quarantine healthy people in their homes and force them to wear masks, close their businesses, or forbid church attendance or preventing others from going to synagogue. Truth is, locking people up and killing 64% of the gross domestic product will not rid the United States of a corona 
China virus scandemic that has a 99% survival rate, by the way. Even Dr. Fauci admitted he's been a big liar, quote, for our own good, unquote. We have been played, we have been lied to, we must open our economy right now and fight for our unalienable rights. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your veterans tip of the day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on, asked for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over a thousand pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We at Songs and Stories for Soldiers and all the 400 plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks because not too long ago they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system, and if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions. Schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also, yeah. don't need home protection. Um, oh. You don't. You don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support. But the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy, and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action, and you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. 
So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns, or is this about something else? I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence? You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones, all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege. It's your right. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to loadedmike.com. To check out my book series, go to goodgunbadguy.net. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through this very brief break. Uh, a bit longer than uh, than they have been in the past. Uh, of course, that has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, you know what? We've added a new segment in the middle, and I'm digging it. Love Dan Wass. I have enjoyed having him on the show in the past, and very, very happy to have him back as part of the show now on a regular basis as we'll be doing those public service announcements as his reach continues to grow, uh, just trying to perform a small service and help expand it even further. So, Dan, you keep up the great work. Uh, you keep sending me these bad boys, and I will keep playing them. It's just that simple. All right. Now let's get back into the action uh, of today's show. Now, and I mentioned earlier that the time of the live broadcast uh, is February 2nd. And on February 2nd, we got some breaking news uh, a few hours ago, and that is that Trump's lawyers have offered the former president's answer to the impeachment article on incitement of insurrection. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we'll really have opportunity to dig into this as the next couple of weeks progress. We'll see how things play out. I'm really, really interested to see how the calling of witnesses is going to play out and all this. But... The important thing here is that Donald John Trump, through his lawyers, Bruce L. Castor Jr. and uh, David Scroen, uh, has responded to the article of impeachment lodged against him by the United States House of Representatives. Uh, quoting here says, The Senate of the United States lacks jurisdiction over the 45th president because he holds no public office from which he can be removed. And the Constitution limits the authority of the Senate in cases of impeachment to removal from office as the prerequisite activity remedy allowed the Senate under our Constitution. Now, this is being directly quoted from what the uh, attorneys wrote. Now, 
I have their full response here, and I could go into it, uh, read a lot of it. I'm not going to do that because, first, it doesn't make for great radio. And I, I do want to make sure that the fine folks listening to great radio stations across the country, like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah Stock Authority, and WCET uh, FM, that's uh, Columbia's Talk in Columbia, South Carolina. I want to make sure that those guys, if you're listening there, that you get a sense of what radio should be. Uh, you know, it's this is not just a podcast. This is not just internet radio. This is actual, honest to goodness radio, radio, and and I dig it. It's part of the problem. It gets a little wonky, though. Uh, the bottom line here is they make this assertion that, much like the question that was before the Senate uh, already uh, about the constitutionality of having this hearing proceed. The idea is that the Senate really only has authority over a sitting president when it comes to impeachment. Now, impeachment is a political solution to a political problem. A lot of scholars believe that the high crimes and misdemeanors is not really a particularly strong language. When they added and misdemeanors, they now come to believe that anything politically, that technically, yeah, you can impeach over anything. And that technically it's okay, but it just hasn't been done previously because most people had enough respect for the office of president and enough respect for their own office and, you know, some modicum of self-respect where they didn't want to look like complete and utterless, hapless well, I'm not going to finish that because, again, on the radio, and I can't think of a nice word that would be okay to say on the radio. But uh, anyway, I don't want you to think that you're just a big old jerk and don't understand the nature of the job you have. It's like these folks going after uh, freshman Congressman uh, Green, uh, who is taking a lot of heat for some of the things that she has said in the past. In regards to Jewish space lasers, I, that's that's one that I gotta admit I, I I'm not sure where you came up with that one at, but hey, uh, there's a reason why I don't just dismiss uh, tinfoil hat theories uh, out of hand. If you got a conspiracy theory, I'm willing to listen. I'm not necessarily going to buy into it. You're not even necessarily going to know if I do or not. But uh, I think if we just ignore every person that takes the time to question what may or may not be going on when it comes to our government, well, then we're going to miss out on a lot, uh, and and that becomes way more dangerous. Uh, They want, of course, to uh, boot her out. But uh, just like with Donald Trump, uh, he's already gone. They got really angry they couldn't do anything with him. You know, they, they, they couldn't impeach him. He finished the term. They, they couldn't even uh, force him to resign in disgrace because he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that because uh, this is not my fault. And so now they're targeting somebody else. And the whole thing here is that they really want to paint all Republicans and all conservatives, anybody that's not part of their little cabal, anybody that doesn't buy into their group thing, they want to paint all of us as being dangerous. So, you know, just going to go after these people and, and claim that uh, that we're going to remove you. Well, here's the thing. The standard has been, as far as that's concerned, you don't remove somebody 
for stuff they've done beforehand. Uh, that's the whole point of having the campaign and having the election. Uh, your opposition was supposed to have done the research and vetted and helped to vet these candidates. And uh, her district supported her. They elected her. She's there. Now, as soon as she does something specifically terrible that she's in office, then you can expel her. But are we going to change that standard, too? Because that's what we're dealing with right now. We've changed standards. And only in an effort to target the other side. Because has has Ms. Green done anything terrible since she's become a member of Congress? Has Donald Trump really did anything that terrible? I mean, uh, there's a ton of people convinced that he did, but most of them have no idea what he actually did. They're just sycophantically following along with the legacy media and what they tell them. Whoever my thought policeman is, they tell me what to think, and I'm good. I'm going to listen in, I believe. But ultimately, uh, the point of this response they broke down multiple answers and uh, part of it i will read part of one section it says that the constitution provides that the house of representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason bribery and other high crimes and misdemeanors And then part of the response, answer one, admitted in part, denied in part. Now, denied in part as not relevant to any matter properly before the Senate. It is admitted that the constitutional provision at ad uh, aversement one is accurately reproduced. It is denied that the quoted provision currently applies to the 45th president of the United States since he no longer since he is no longer president the constitutional provision requires that a person actually hold office to be impeached since the 45th president is no longer president the clause shall be removed from office on impeachment for is impossible for the senate to accomplish and thus, the current proceedings before the Senate is void as a legal nullity that runs patently contrary, patently contrary to the plain language of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 3. <laughs> now, again, I like the fact that they do speak specify the plain language now it continues and if you're interested you can find this just about anywhere online except of course at legacy media sites in fact you probably can even find it over at foxnews.com if you still venture into those waters they go through they explain that part of what's written here could be considered having been done in accordance with the rules because after all the house did most of their part while trump was still in office and they went through a majority of the actions they're supposed to although there was no hearing in committee 
which is essentially supposed to work like a grand jury. And there was no effort on the part of the Democrats to to do anything other than rush to the vote and then try to rush and get it over to the Senate and hope that the Senate would jump in line and that they could try to remove him from office before his term was technically up. That's what they were hoping for. Because they are scared to death that Donald J. Trump will show up again on a presidential ticket, or on another ticket, for that matter. But uh, they're really afraid that he could be back, because, let's face it, there's only so many times they can cheat, and only so many ways they can, and and even though they think they've got that level of control, and they think they've got the roadmap to keep it, they still can't be certain, because they already thought they were there with Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama. They thought the minute that Barack was elected, it was over. The republic had fallen, if it was even still existent after all. Legitimately, we're looking at a a nation that stands as a corporation more than the republic it was founded as. But regardless, I would like to see a return to the republic. I would like to see a return to the ideas, the notions, the concepts, the precept of individual liberty being first and primary on the hearts and minds of the American people. And that they'd be willing to stand up for those principles, not just for their own, but also for their neighbors, even the ones they don't agree with. It really hasn't been that long since the average rank-and-file American was prepared to do that. But at any rate, they go through here with multiple answers, but when it really comes down to the phrasing of anything that's properly in front of the Senate is utilized to drive home the point that, no, sorry, uh, the Senate really can't, uh, can't do anything. I mean, even if they were to vote to convict him on the impeachment, uh, so what? It's not a trial. They don't even have a judge presiding over this thing now. That's been the case for a while now, which is just all the more rationale for why any legitimate uh, person that still cares about the process in this country uh, should completely ignore the rest of this as just more political theater. Ooh, we want to we want to be in charge, and, and we want to make sure that that bad man pays, and we want to make sure that every other bad person that might have supported this guy also pays, and we want to make sure that as they're paying, that they're never allowed to show up again. I've been telling you for a while to go back and read Animal Farm been telling you for a little while mentioning 1984 as a great companion i think it's time also to read brave new world i think those three books right now if you haven't already read them uh go get them uh go to your local bookstore i mean if you've got to go through amazon to get it okay but uh uh, Jeff over there at Amazon's not exactly one of my favorite people right now. So I'd rather not work to line his pockets any further, but uh, pick up a copy if you don't already have one. Go go loan one out of a public library if you're fortunate enough to still have one of those around. 
read these books and read them in that order. Read Animal Farm first, read 1984, and then read Brave New World and spend some time getting through these books because you don't have till Biden is replaced, removed, or, I don't know, somehow miraculously gets through a first term uh, to get the idea here. You are in danger. Your liberty is in danger. If you are a leftist, but you just like the ideas that are spouted by these other leftists, Marxists, globalists, you are in danger. Right now you're cheering for them pushing down on us conservatives. Right now you're cheering for them trying to silence us conservatives. But you will be next. When they're done, when they get so far down the list that they've even gotten to little old me, when there is literally no more room, when Ron Edwards and myself have been arrested for having our megaphone out in front of the city hall because we gave up on going to the state capitals and we're thrown under a prison somewhere because we dared to suffer from the horrific crime of not thinking like them, when they feel like they're done, when we have those re-education camps that AOC was talking about, when we get shipped off and some of us never come back, they're not done. You're next. Von Hoffen mean anything to you? Now, the folks that normally listen to this show, I'm sure the name does ring a bell. The problem is it doesn't ring enough of a bell. And there's probably not enough people out there. Right now, we don't have enough people that even understand the difference between equality and equity. And if you haven't heard the lectures from some other conservative host yet, Get ready, because we're going to be talking about that difference a lot in the upcoming weeks, months, or whatever amount of time I'm allowed to still get behind this microphone. There's a reason why they've changed their language. And they're hoping you don't know the difference. If you don't, you had better learn the difference. And meanwhile, I'm going to have to kind of leave things there. I... You can tell I've been away too long because I barely touched on one story for today. So for those of you that are listening to the podcast, hang on. Don't go anywhere. Hour numbers two will start uh, right after this. But I'm going to go ahead and reset the hour for the folks that are listening on terrestrial radio because uh, the radio stations that air the show, that rebroadcast the show, they typically do it in one-hour increments. So they'll take hour number one, play it one day, hour number two, play it another day. You know, you you get the idea. So if you're one of the folks listening on terrestrial radio that I'm about to say goodbye to for now, I want to encourage you to please come back and hang out with us some more. Don't miss the next broadcast because it's going to be a continuation of this one most likely. Come back, hear the stories that I want to get into today. In the meanwhile, I want to remind you, whatever else you do, whatever else you take away from this broadcast, please, please, please don't take my word for not one little bit of it. Don't. I want you to go out. I want you to do your own research, and I mean something other than Wikipedia, please. 
don't just Google it. Go get your hands on some original documents if you can. Go to those libraries if they're out there. Go do your own research because the most important thing you can do is use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, you guys stay safe out there, stay healthy, and, uh, you know, be smart even if it goes against your nature. And like I said, if you're at the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts next. Meanwhile, see you later. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man, told that union saved the working class. He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when He couldn't say how He couldn't say why she was different in his eyes They built careers and had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less They can say when, they can say how, and they can say why, they're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes.
today is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damned. Right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in their guns. All the unions always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. Glad to have you here along for the ride as well as we continue to shuffle our way through the insanity that we're seeing in Congress, the insanity that we're seeing on the legacy media, and of course, all the wild, exaggeratingly awesome times that are a direct result of the installation of Operation P-Pads and Knee-Pads, my nickname for the current administration. Uh, Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am indeed Tim Tapp, and this is indeed Tapp into the Truth, and I am glad to have you folks here with me. Why? Well, because I miss you when you're gone. (laughs) I do. Now, one of the things I did, I decided to call an audible back in the first hour of today's broadcast. And for those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio, uh, whether it's uh, Utah's Talk Authority, KYAH, 540 AM, or if you're listening on WCET-FM, if you're listening to one of those outlets, you might need to know. You might need to know the time of the live broadcast so that it doesn't sound all distorted. But the reason why some of this stuff may sound a little dated is because this 
broadcast, the time I was behind this microphone talking to you, it was February 2nd. It was a Tuesday. It's probably a couple of days passed by now. We probably moved on to the next thing. Uh, I talked a little bit about, uh, back in the first hour, uh, I called an audible and talked about how a lot of conservatives are kind of feeling a, a level of despair beyond the disgust of how we're struggling to to keep up our spirits and how we're seeing real harm and real damage being done by by barely there Biden trying to write executive orders, the scope of which has no constitutional authority, no legal authority whatsoever. But everybody's just acting like, oh, well, that's what the president said. Oh, no, that's not fascistic in any way. No, 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 that's not dictatorial, even though Joe Biden himself, not that long ago, uh, referring to uh, Mr. Donald John Trump, uh, referred to the use of executive orders in large numbers such as this uh, is a refusal to get a consensus. Uh, that's not democracy. Uh, that's the actions of a dictator. Of course, the defenders are out. Blah, 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 blah. Well, Biden wasn't talking about uh, a number of executive orders. He's talking about the merit of the executive orders. And most of the executive orders that Joe Biden has signed have simply been to undo executive orders that Donald Trump did. Aha! We should go to court, right? Because, you know... A lot of the executive orders that Donald Trump wrote early on were to undo unconstitutional executive orders that Barack Hussein al-Akbar Obama had written. But what happened in those cases, and I'm, I'm looking at you, dreamers, uh, what happened in those cases? Well, you know, the president doesn't have all the powers of the president ordinarily because we don't like this guy. Uh, what's your reason? Orange man bad. No, okay, perfect, perfectly airtight legal defense. I, I, I understand, and uh, we'll go along with it. Approved. <sighs> Going back to the <clears throat> so-called Muslim travel ban, which really wasn't anything more than a six-month delay to create better vetting processes, I will remind you all, just in case you forgot. Now, most of the people were nearly listening to the show. I know I don't have to do that. I know you get it. You've heard me say it a lot, but most of you knew that already. I didn't have to explain it to you, but just in case somebody who doesn't ordinarily listen to, you know, truth, uh, they may have accidentally stumbled upon this, and they may be thinking to themselves, well, what does he mean? I was told. I was promised. I was guaranteed by my Democratic representative and by the legacy mainstream media that it was a racist thing and was designed to try to keep Muslims from coming in the country. Now, it just so happened that most of the countries that fit the bill, as far as us saying, you guys don't do a good enough job of vetting who you're letting leave the country and come here, it just so happens 
purely coincidence, I'm sure, that they were predominantly Muslim nations. But the fact of the matter is, the idea was in a time of strife, in a time of civil war in Syria, in a time of al-Qaeda running wild, in the time of the caliphate, the al-Qaeda caliphate spreading, in the time of the B-team beating all the starters on the board. Donald Trump said, you know what, it might not be a bad idea if we just kind of slowed that down for a little while and we did some vetting. Well, well, Mr. President, I, I'm sorry, but we don't have a very good method of doing that either. Well, maybe we ought to take a look at that. That's all it was. It was a travel delay. That's all it was. But the, the whole reason I, I bring all that up again is because we've had the discussion before in court. The lawyer arguing against Donald Trump being able to issue that executive order admitted that should it have been Hillary Clinton who had won, that it would be a perfectly legitimate executive order. So over and over and over again, over to hells, over the jail, we have the situation where, sadly, Donald Trump didn't have the same authority that any other sitting president has ever had. And now, all of a sudden, uh, Operation PPAD seems to have more authority than any president's ever had. We don't even need a legislator anymore. Here, just put the legislatures just to the side. We don't need a House. We don't need a Senate. Well, of course, after the impeachment trial, we won't need them anymore. Got to have them for that. It's our last chance to embarrass Donald Trump and try to make everybody that ever supported Donald Trump look like they're a horrible person. Shame. You shouldn't be allowed to show your face in public, Tim Tap. That might be why I do the thing over the radio. You notice I don't do a lot of videos where you actually see me. There's a few of them out there in heaven. Forgive me. <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to show your face in public. You're a bad, bad man. Yeah, yeah, I know. I am much like Donald Trump. I am not orange, although being from East Tennessee and a fan of the University of Tennessee, despite of all of our football woes, I do bleed big orange so i guess in that way i'm still an orange man and uh i suppose i'm a climate arsonist i'm not sure exactly how but i am sure that would probably apply somewhere i, I utilize too large of a carbon footprint or something i don't know somehow setting fire to the entire environmental movement. But I, I do know for a fact that one thing I do share in common with Donald Trump is I am a kicker of puppies and an eater of babies. Typically baby cows when I have veal, although it's been a long time since I've had veal, actually. But still, no, no, nonetheless, that, that's, that's merely distraction. I'm a bad person, and Donald Trump's a bad person, and everybody that's got an R at the end of their name is a bad person. Even the ones we like right now, because they're standing up against Trump, well, we're going to turn on them as soon as that business is done. Then we're going to turn on them uh, weirdos, lefties out there that have been supporting us, uh, only they don't serve a purpose anymore uh, when that's over. 
Anyway, let's let's look at some of the stories in the news before I have another hour where I'm just ranting. Uh, as entertaining as that is for me, I don't know that you guys find it quite as entertaining. So uh, let's get with it. One of the things that I had just planned on just touching on a bit, uh, much like when I was talking about uh, the answer that the Trump team had uh, in regards to uh, the impeachment the second impeachment, the repeachment. Anyway, I had just planned on touching a little bit on this because, according to the Daily Beast, Biden's communications team has uh, asked reporters what questions they plan to ask the White House secretary at press briefings. They have put in a request, and I'm sure you've heard this by now, but I, I still need to comment on it just a little. They put in a request that you run by all your questions that you're planning on asking them ahead of time. Now, why would you do that, you might say? Well, according to the press communications department, the team, the communication teams, the press, the secretaries, according to all those fine folks, it's just so that they can be better prepared to answer some of the more technical questions. If you let me know the kind of information you're looking for, I'll make sure that I get briefed specifically instead of having to circle back around, circle back around, circle back around, circle back around, circle back around. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm only slightly exaggerating. You guys heard some of those earliest press briefings, right? She was literally circling back around almost every question there for a little bit. Whenever there was a tough question asked, definitely going to circle back around. When there was a policy question that was asked that, just surprisingly enough, the truth might not cast the best look onto the Operation P-Pads and E-Pads. I'm sorry, I mean the Biden-Harris administration. There were a lot of times she needed to circle back around for those two. Now, some of the more cynical folks out there, like myself... Uh, thought that maybe this is also a way of not just stacking the deck in regards to being prepared and appearing like I'm a competent press secretary, uh, but also could be an opportunity to start spinning the narrative before a reporter gets to ask a question. And possibly even take it a step further, saying, "Well, if you're going to ask this question, I'm not ask. I'm not calling on you. If you're going to ask that question, I'm not going to call on you. I'm going to find a way not to call on you. Not that it's that hard. And oh, if you keep trying to ask a question, or heaven forbid, if you should say that I'm going to ask what flavor of ice cream you had, and then you call on me, and then I ask you." What scientific rationale is there behind actually shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline? Then, mysteriously, my White House press pass is going to disappear. It's going to become null and void. A more cynical person might believe something like that could be at play. But quite honestly, I think even the excuse they gave isn't good enough. 
Because as press secretary, part of the job is always trying to anticipate what questions might be asked. Part of the job is being able to respond uh, under pressure, uh, to be prepared and to give a response, whether the questioning's hostile or friendly, whether it's technical or just something you didn't brief on. Now, I will say, I will tell you point blank right here, right now, without hesitation, it is perfectly okay to have to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I will get back to you. That's something that is at my day job that is okay to say when we have visitors come in that are auditing or inspecting. It's like they have a certain expectation that you should know X amount of things about the things you actually do. But if it's something that's a little outside of your preview, or even if it's something that maybe because it doesn't come up very often, you don't know, then it's okay to say, I don't know that, but let me get back to you. And I'll be happy to get, <laughs> dare I say it, I'll circle back to that. I just hate using that phrasing right now because she literally has already written it into the ground. Boom, boom, boom. Circle back around, circle back around, circle back around. Are you dizzy yet? The problem here, though, isn't that she's circling back around. The problem isn't even that asking for this information up front, and there, so far, doesn't seem to be any insinuation of any type of chicanery in the effort. They want to create a, a better environment, a less adversarial environment with the media. That's their words, of course. I don't know why they feel it necessary. The majority of the legacy media has already decided that they're actually part of the communications team. They instantly went from fact-checking to the point of exaggerating the fact-check to make a true claim false under the previous administration to already being really, really tired of those mean, mean conservatives picking on Uncle Joe. How dare you be mean to this poor, poor man who is now the greatest president ever, at least since Obama, but now he's greater than Obama because Obama's gone and can't help us anymore, uh, or something like that. I really, I don't understand. Don't ask me to get inside the mind of a leftist. It's a dangerous, scary, dark place that there's no escape from. Make me sick just thinking about it. How dare you suggest that? <laughs> anyway. So the, the real thing here isn't that they're asking. The real problem is that evidently a lot of folks in the media are acquiescing to the request. They're playing along. They're okay with it. It took this article from the Daily Beast, written by someone that was not part of a Zoom call where they were discussing the issue, so that the person writing the article wasn't one of the people that supposedly got the request, and they're finding cover so that they don't have to out whoever it was who said, you know what, as a journalist, I, I don't like that. I mean, quick reminder back to the Obama administration, uh, there were certain journalists that the Obama administration actually went after legally, were spying on, that, that they were trying to silence because they were following up and doing 
investigative journalism that might have shined a, a slightly negative light on the administration. Just a reminder, something to keep in mind. Now that we have Obama 3.0, which so far that's really what it's been. First, it wasn't a return to normal. It was a return to Obama, policy-wise. We got everything except the smiling, semi-charismatic, best teleprompter reading eloquent man to hold the office in at least I don't know, 12 years something like that anyway we just don't have that side of it but everything else, the policies are exactly the same only on steroids now they've been keeping those bad boys down in the basement, feeding them vitamins and, and, and making them mean so they're jumping out to get. that's why they need Executive order after executive order after executive order because they can't make it happen without the executive orders, can they? These have never passed Congress. Most of the Democrats that are cheering for these executive orders aren't about to go on the record and have to vote yes on something to make it legal. They're not about to because they have to run for re-election. Right now, nobody, even though they won't say that part out loud, even on the Democrats, nobody's expecting Joe Biden to get through one term, let alone have a chance to run for a second term. He's expendable. He was pliable. He is literally a placeholder. And he said so as much himself. He's a placeholder for uber-leftist ideology. And he is on a roll, let me tell you. He needs to be, though, because you know, it's hard for him to get around. He needs wheels to be pushed a bit or, and roll. It's easier. Less, less trauma, you know, and less impact on those joints. So I don't know. What, what does this say about America? What does this say about where we are at? Well, it tells me, ladies and gentlemen tells me that we've got some serious issues. The fact that so much of the media is already going along. Not that it's unexpected. Not that some people, myself included, weren't telling you that it was going to happen. In fact, again, the majority of regular listeners to this show, you already knew. I didn't have to tell you. It didn't have to come from me. You knew. You've seen what the media has been doing. You know what these people that claim to be journalists do to pass the time. No surprises. All right, it is a smidge early, but because this next segment is probably going to be a little long, I'm going to try to work in like three stories together for one uh, major story. I'm going to go ahead and take the mid-hour break. And what I'm going to need you to do right now is be patient with me as we go into the Edwards Notebook, the songs and stories for soldiers and veterans tip of the day, and uh, the newest from Dan Walsh uh, on the Second Amendment. Uh, Don't go anywhere. I'll be back on the other side.
If you are an American sovereign citizen and still believe that Democrats actually care about you, your family, or your small business, I have a tropical island paradise in the middle of Lake Superior to sell you. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, just like parasites, Democrat leftists have uh, been nothing more than invading species of gruesome political bloodsuckers who seek to bleed away the wealth and block the unalienable rights of Americans who simply desire to enjoy the blessings of their God-given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and or property. Democrats, like parasites, sicken the atmosphere and hamper the ability of we the people to live our daily lives in peace and tranquility. Leftist Democrats destroyed the peace of mind of small business owners in states like Michigan through dictatorial orders and draconian lockdowns. Just as parasitical Democrats destroyed many inner cities soon after the bastardized or civil rights movement, when small businesses and, and industrial giants shuttered their doors, causing misery for generations, now leftist Democrats seek to wipe out 64% of the U.S. gross domestic product via the conjured-up Corona China virus. Wake up, America, and check out my Ron Edwards American Experience talk show on the YouTube channel. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Let's talk about guns purely from a self-defense perspective. How many people are there in America? Well, if you said just over 300 million, you're correct. It's closer to 325 million. Now let me ask you this. How many acts of violence are there per year in America? Well, if you said just over 1 million, you're correct. It's approximately 1.2 to 1.3 million. So if there are just over 300 million people in America and just over 1 million acts of violence occurring in America every year, what are your chances of being the victim of one of those attacks? Well, if you said 1 in 300, you're correct. I don't know about you, but I don't like those odds. I know your odds might change depending on where you live, but if you live in an area with less crime, wouldn't that make someone else's odds go up? I mean, the number of people in America didn't change, and the number of violent attacks per year didn't change. Some of the highest crime rates in America are in Democrat-run cities where there are the strictest and most restrictive gun laws in the country, putting good people at risk because they can't defend themselves. The anti-gun left and anti-freedom groups like the Everytown Gun Grabbers continue to paint a dishonest picture of guns in America by telling you that guns cause violence. This is why they push the term gun violence. It's to help people who aren't paying attention believe that if we were to remove guns, the violence would magically go away. The truth is, not having a gun is more likely to make you a victim of violence. Two and a half million times per year in America, guns are used to save lives. This doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. By the way, 46% of those defensive gun uses are by women. The more guns are restricted, the more people are put at risk. The people who try to scare you and convince you that guns are the problem ignore the fact 
that we're all potential for being a 1 in 300 statistic. The people who ignore this are the same people who will purchase a lottery ticket with a 1 in 20 million chance of winning. They ignore the facts when pushing their agenda, and they know the odds that they're creating are dangerous. Human violence in America is not an argument for more gun restrictions. It's an argument for more guns in the hands of good people. So regardless of how desperate the anti-gun left is to disarm Americans, we've found a simple and effective way to defend yourself from violent attacks, rapes, carjackings, or shootings. Shoot back. Anti-gun hypocrisy has run rampant because of a dishonest media and an anti-gun political party that's willing to sacrifice our great American values, put good people at risk, and destroy cities with unnecessary violence just so they can gain political power. It's time we understand their strategy so we can defeat them. Our founding fathers saw these tyrants coming over 200 years away. That's why the Second Amendment was written. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to loadedmike.com. To check out my book series, go to goodgunbadguy.net. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through this very brief uh, break that we just had. We, of course, are continuing the the whole notion, the idea that we are indeed tapping into the truth. Okay, so that was Dan Wass, you heard last. Before that, Dan Perkins. And then before that, Ron Edwards. As we continue to blow away the myths and expose the lies, we continue to try and help our veterans every way possible. And you know what? It's time we had a few more strong voices uh, making strong arguments in favor of the Second Amendment, as opposed to all these loony leftists running wild and rampant across the country. Yeah, that's what we get most of. Now, I have some stories I wanted to get to, and I want to kind of group them together, uh, just because they do kind of go together. Uh, First and foremost, the thing that wraps them together has the fact that they have to do with schools. Now, One such situation has to do with the school system in Chicago. Now, we've been following the Chicago uh, Teachers Union uh, ordeal there. Uh, We've been discussing how it appears that uh, we've got this really awesome face-off going on between Mayor Lightfoot and the school system. Uh, pushing against the school teachers. There was a threat, the threatening, I should say, the threat of locking the teachers out if they didn't return for in-person, face-to-face teaching. 
Then the teachers' union threatened an illegal strike. And then Lightfoot and company were put in this position where either they're going to stick to their guns and stand up for their constituents, or they're going to have to knuckle under to a union that has a reasonable amount of power in the state and across the country, as most teacher unions have their interactions. And, of course, it's never a good look for a Democrat to, to stand up against a union, is it? So, Lori Lightfoot mayor of Chicago, and also winner three years in a row at the Beetlejuice Lookalike Contest. She's, well, I guess the best way to put it is she took a knee. They've decided that that they're just going to kind of back down while they continue negotiations. So Lightfoot uh, announced that the city and the school district, they're going to continue negotiating with the Chicago Teachers Union while remaining remote. Now, Lightfoot, of course, put the typical spin on it, saying that uh, the decision to allow the teachers to continue remote learning is, in fact, a gesture of good faith. In reality, I don't think there was a daggone thing they could do about it. Uh, Seems pretty straightforward. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that just because it has my attention and I think is worthy of yours. Uh, Something that came out today, again, time of the live broadcast being February 2nd, um, there's a Maryland school district that kind of got on my radar because the Montgomery County Public School District in Maryland, they have spent more More than, that means greater than, they spent more than $450,000 on a anti-racist audit for the 2021, well, for the 2020-2021 school year. And the result of that audit in the district tentatively now is going to be adopting policies to push anti-racist thinking in preschool. Yeah, well, we've realized that by the time they get into middle school, it's already too late. Those inherently racist white folks, they're, they're suffering from such a level of white fragility. By the time they're in middle school, it's just too late. So now we got to go to preschool. Yeah. All right, so according to a copy of the school district's tentative action policy, which... Uh, was obtained by the Daily Wire, and that's where I'm getting the majority of uh, this from, Uh, the district will now provide a, quote, culturally responsive pre-kindergarten to grade 12 curriculum that promotes equity. Not not equality, but equity. It's going to be promoting equity. It's going to be promoting respect. It's going to be promoting anti-racist thinking. And, of course, don't forget... Uh, maybe, if this is true, some of the folks pushing this should attend. Uh, supposedly, it's going to promote civility. Now, uh, the curriculum will also teach students that, quote, the impact of racism on mental health has been deemed a public health crisis, far greater than COVID-19. It's the true pandemic Okay, so the school district, which is one of the largest in the country, they announced back in November 
that they would be partnering up with the Mid-Atlantic Equity Consortium for $454,680 to conduct an anti-racist audit. Now, the audit was designed to examine the district's systems, practices, and policies that do not create access, opportunities, and equitable outcomes for every student's academic and social-emotional well-being. This according to Bethesda Magazine. And the contract was awarded despite the fact that at that point in time, there was an anticipated budget cut of up to $155 million for the school system. Now, wrap wrap your mind around that we're going to lose $155 million of our annual budget, but we still have nearly half a million dollars to just throw away on something that, truthfully, is BS to begin with. But even if it wasn't, they should be able to do on their own. Except, of course, they don't understand their own implicit racism, right? Because it's subconscious, right? Somebody else has to show up and consciously show them what they themselves cannot subconsciously recognize. Did I, did I lose you? Because they lost me on this a long time ago. That's not to say that I don't understand what's going on here. It's a waste of money, it's a rip-off, and it is somebody, once again, accusing you of being racist for the high crime of just being white, no matter how you feel about other people. Racism sucks. Being falsely accused of racism, that sucks too. Okay, so in a review of the Mid-Atlantic Equity Consortium's financial filings, the Washington Free Beacon discovered that the group had ranked, uh, I'm sorry, had raked in $17 million in taxpayer money between mid-2018 to mid-2019. The group has not reported a private donation in four years and has received its government financial backing through a partnership with the Department of Education. The Department of Education has funneled 17 million taxpayer dollars to this group cashing in on the white fragility, critical race theory, mama jamma. I was going to say something not radio appropriate, but I caught myself. Now, the audit is still ongoing, by the way. But its reach is already being seen in curriculum changes, policy changes, school board meetings, and parent-teacher association meetings. In a PowerPoint PowerPoint presentation delivered by the district in a PTA meeting, the district stated its newfound goal is to, quote, be an anti-racist school system. Well, okay. If you have to set that as a goal, you probably already have a problem. I'll grant you that. How about you just set your system's goal to the education of the students in the system? How about that be the driving force, the the achievable goal that's at the end of the rainbow? How about that? No, 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 no. That's too much like actually working. Uh, So uh, you, you you can't achieve outcome 
equity of these children's uh, academic life uh, if you actually just try to teach them. Because then that requires them to learn. And then the equity goes out the window, doesn't it? Because in order to have equity, you have to be a you have to be a stakeholder. Now you already are. You are a stakeholder in your level of education, regardless. You are. It's just the way it is. But what you choose to do with your stake, what you choose to do, equality means you should have the same opportunity, which by attending the school that everybody else in that school is attending, you do. Now, how you're treated by the teachers, maybe that changes the equality. What some of the policies have in place, maybe that changes the equality. But when you start moving towards equity, you're not talking anymore about opportunity for the individual to take advantage of. You are then talking about forcing same outcomes. And we've talked about this a multitude of times. It's the big fake lie of socialism, boys and girls. It is just that simple. When you decide as a governmental force that you are going to create the same outcome, you can't guarantee everyone's going to have a successful outcome. So you have to go and ruin the outcome for all those people who would have taken full advantage of their opportunities and say, nope, you can't do any better than this kid. You literally have to circle the worst kid in the class. That's as good as you're going to do. That's equity. Okay, so to achieve the goal of becoming an anti-racist school system, the district has literally adjusted the definition of commonly used words. Yeah, because that's something the left has never done before, right? Okay, so some of the words that they've adjusted, discrimination. And, of course, they've got to adjust the meaning of the word racism, too. Now, the dictionary, for those of you that think words actually have meanings and have power and that people should pay attention to the words being used, the dictionary defines discrimination as an unjust or pre, well, prejudicial, I will use that word, I was, they've got this convoluted prejudgment, but I, I'm going to play with it a little bit too. Why not? I, I can pretend to be a leftist. An unjust or a prejudicial treatment, different categories, treatment of different categories of people or things. So discrimination means that you are unjustly and prejudicially treating one group of people differently than the other group of people. In the tentative policy, Montgomery County Public School District has expanded discrimination to also include any action that may be factually neutral, but may have a disparate impact on another student or staff member. A desperate. Not desperate, but disparate. In other words, if you say something despairing, even if it's true, if it's just neutral, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but if it might hurt my feelings, then then that's discrimination. 
uh, that it's not discrimination, boys and girls. But in order to make it work, they have to change the definition. It's the same old song and dance. And, and they're applying this to the staff members, too. So if you're there as a student, you can't say anything like, well, you know, teachers are overpaid because they don't have to work their job in the summer. They get an annual salary. I don't necessarily agree with that statement, by the way. But if a kid was to say that, I've heard adults say that, that automatically becomes discriminatory. I'm discriminating against teachers for having pointed out the fact that uh, technically, if they work in a school system that has a summer break and they don't work during that summer break, well, at teaching, that uh, they're, they're not entitled to an annual salary. That's discrimination. Now, <clears throat> quoting from the policy here, discrimination also includes conduct or practices that may be factually neutral, but that have an unjustified disparate impact based on individuals' actual or here's the kicker, perceived personal characteristics. Discrimination encompasses racism, sexism, and any other form of institutional prejudice in all their manifestations. The policy also adjusted the definition of racism. Just, you know, because why not? The new understanding of racism defines it as system systemic i'm sorry i was going to say systematic but they, they actually have the word systemic here so let's use their vernacular um the new understanding of racism defines it as systemic oppression anybody else that's a conservative starting to feel systemically oppressed by the current political correctness environment just that's a question asking for a friend the policy literally reads Racism means the systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another. Translation, <laughs> if you ain't in power, you can't be racist. Where have we heard that from before? Again, these people keep using this word. I do not think it means what they think it means. They're trying to change the meaning, and that still doesn't change the meaning. It just means they're being goofballs. So now the school board also inserted a new prohibition on language. This prohibition appears on language, appears in displays, images, or even symbols that they consider to, quote, promote hate. You know, like a uh, Make America Great Again hat. Just as an example. Now, according to the policy, the board plans to prohibit the use of language and or the display of images and symbols which promote hate and can be reasonably expected to cause substantial disruption to school or district operation or activities. Meaning, if you get one of the teachers upset because you wore a Trump 2020 t-shirt, oh boy, you're in some trouble. I mean, seriously, one could reasonably assume this to, uh, to be the mechanism to punish or to, 
I don't know, maybe silence a student or even a staff member that wears paraphernalia or speaks about a subject that may offend the school's left-leaning ideology? I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, The policy concluded with an update to the school's hiring, retention, and promotion processes also. These can now be viewed through an equity lens. The same equity lens will also be applied to training for professional staff, for the curriculum, for learning, for instructional materials, and assessment designs. Translation, they just became in writing, the wokest school system in America. And boy, do they have competition. Because we have this other ongoing story that I haven't had a chance to touch on yet. And I I don't know I have enough time this hour to give it adequate uh, opportunity, but it has to be uh, touched with, because we're talking about the San Francisco public schools. They've got this renaming plan now we've talked about the renaming plan uh, a couple of times already but haven't had a chance to really get into very much detail well now some of the information revolving the renaming plan has been well it's been made available to the public and it's kind of got a lot of historical errors in it now a google document used by the san francisco public schools renaming committee to track historical research into the, quote, controversial figures whose names appear on 44 of the district's buildings. Well, it it was rife with historical errors. I'm being as polite as I can be about that. Ton of historical errors, and it contained information gathered through casual Google searches. And, And even in some cases, the information didn't actually relate at all to the individual who's being considered controversial, therefore must be canceled. San Francisco School District, they voted last week to accept a committee's recommendation to rename 44 schools in the district. This included buildings named after former President George Washington, former President Abraham Lincoln, uh, the inventor Thomas Edison, the Revolutionary War hero Paul Revere, and uh, California's longtime Democratic senator, yes, Miss Diane Feinstein, who, by virtue of not being mean enough during a uh, confirmation hearing to Miss Coney Barrett, uh, well, now she's no longer serving a purpose for the Democrats. She must also be canceled. Now, the underlying rationale for a lot of the name changes was already suspect, okay? I mean, it, at, at best, you can say this is leftist cancel culture run amok. At best. At worst, you can say a lot of other things that, again, I can't say over the radio. But at best, cancel culture run amok. I mean, one of the things, the, the story that they went after Diane Feinstein here was they were trying to link her to a Confederate flag on this display, uh, which was poorly sourced. And part of the situation here said that uh, Lincoln was included among the controversial figures because he did not show 
through policy or rhetoric that black lives ever mattered to them outside of human capital and as casualties of wealth building. <laughs> A bunch of fancy doctors say black lives matter, but Lincoln didn't didn't think so. Not, never mind the fact that Abraham Lincoln has several bits of original documentation still existing where he kind of said the opposite. Just saying. There were problems with the renamings committee's research that go way deeper. It's so much so that even the New York Post... Well, you know, not the New York Times. They're on board with it. But the New York Post decided to delve into what's going on in San Francisco. Literally, the entire nation away. But they're like, it was so bad, we had to tell you about it. The San Francisco's Mission Local obtained a copy of the committee's Google document through a group called Families for San Francisco, which prepared a report arguing against the district's renaming decisions. So the... Uh, the group was trying to to fight this decision. They didn't want it changed. Or at least they didn't want all 44. Missions local fact-checked the source material and the reasoning that the board's school renaming committee relied on. And it came to da- these, these damning conclusions based on this information. Now, this was including that the committee members avoided consulting with actual honest-to-goodness historians, didn't talk to a historian. Didn't get verification on this information they had. Didn't get the opinion of the historian. Didn't care what someone who's literally professionally studied history and possibly knows a thing or two about it. Now, now, why, why should we trust them? Instead, they relied on shakily sourced Wikipedia entries and TV shows. Think about that. TV shows. Probably something on the History Channel, which I like a lot of stuff on the History Channel, but they got a lot of stuff on there that's not really delving in facts these days, if you haven't noticed. Businessman and philanthropist James Lick, the wealthiest man in California when he died back in 1876. (coughs) He got the boot because the committee disliked his funding of a sculpture depicting a, a prostate Indian at the feet of white men. The monument was recently removed from the Civic Center, by the way. Well, look, it turns out, he didn't commission the statue. His estate paid for it, but it was completed and installed nearly two decades after Lick died. In other words, he didn't know a thing about it. He didn't have anything to do with it. The money he had amassed was passed on to people that got the inheritance and they paid for it. But he didn't. Nope. Close enough. You're canceled. Paul Revere was court-martialed for alleged cowardice and insubordination following a particularly disastrous expedition against the British back in 1779. But his name only ended up on the list because he was, by some alchemy, magic, I don't know, tied to the conquest of a group of Indians, which the committee could not prove. But 
Also, they could not abide. Uh, so no evidence of it. Somebody says, hey, you did this, but uh, it goes on. Uh, poet James Russell Lowell was targeted because one committee member said, quote, he did not want black people to vote. It's not clear where that committee member's information came from. Mission Local consulted a uh, bi- biography of Lowell, which stated that he unequivocally advocated giving the ballot to the recently freed slaves. So it's kind of the opposite of reality. And then as far as consulting a historian, San Francisco's renaming committee, uh, they they kind of just scoffed at the very idea, the very notion. What? What would be the point? History is written and documented pretty well across the board. This actually a quote from the committee chair, Jeremiah Jeffries. What would be the point? History is written and documented pretty well across the board. And so we don't need to belabor history in that regard. We're not debating that. There's no point in debating history in that regard. Either it happened or it didn't. Here's the problem, Jeffrey. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. I'm just going to call him by his last name, Jeffries. But no, I'll call you Jeremiah. We can be friends here, right? Here's the problem, Jeremiah. The things that you were claiming happened didn't. And an overwhelming majority of the people that you targeted here, it was based on inaccurate or straight-up false information. Where are you at? Wow, I have blown right past the end of this hour, and I knew I would do that. Well, no. No, I haven't. I've still still got a little time left. I was looking at the clock, and I was about to freak out. Okay, so i got to kind of wrap this segment up because the hour is coming to an end rather quickly. Uh, Here's the real problem. Jeremiah and his little group of people, they really didn't like the idea of having these people's names. And most of the time, it's based on stuff that they just heard, much of which isn't true. Now, if you talked to a historian, you might have learned that you had some mistaken impressions. And I'm going to sit here. I'm going to make probably a huge mistake here, and I'm going to offer up the benefit of the doubt to you guys. Pretend like maybe, to the best of your knowledge, you really did think this was a bad situation. Maybe you really did think these were bad people. Maybe you didn't know any better. But the reason you didn't know any better is because you don't know the history, and you didn't bother to go ask somebody who did. You're heavily involved in the erasure of our shared history, and that's where unity comes from. So you need to ask your question of yourself. Are you really trying to create unity, or are you actively, or are you being used as a tool by someone else who is actively trying to keep division going? Just something for you to think about. In the meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to, uh, you know, use your brain. If you really want to tap into truth, stay healthy, stay smart, stay safe, uh, you know, all the things. Meanwhile, uh, if you're here 
at the podcast. Don't go anywhere. We will continue right after this. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap Committee, live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And uh, we are doing this wonderful thing called Saving the Republic. Or at least I'm doing some small part in an effort to to at least make sure that the ideas, the notion, the very concept of individual liberty, uh, the, the freedom to exist as an individual in this country, uh, continues. I mean, maybe I can't stand up and make the reality of that liberty be something for you, but I certainly can continue to try and make sure that the idea is kept alive. It seems reasonable, right? I, I would hope so. 
All right, so I'm doing three hours on today's uh, broadcast. Uh, it's something I don't often do, really can't do when I'm on BTR. Two hours is like the maximum that I can do over there, uh, at least under the current circumstances. And I'm looking to move away from BTR, but I am going to continue to post these over there because uh, there's a lot of listeners over there that are still doing it. Uh, probably will be making the move to Spreaker full-time as soon as I can get everything in place that I can start taking guests over there. In the meanwhile, I will continue to do live broadcasts at the usual time slot on Wednesdays on BTR uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, if I can get everything squared away, I will change that sooner rather than later. Uh, but uh, just so that everybody knows, uh, going to continue with the usual visits from Ron Edwards. And uh, not this coming Wednesday, but on the 10th, uh, next Wednesday at the time of this live broadcast, I'm scheduled to also be joined in the second hour by Mr. Dan Perkins, a visit that's long overdue. All right, so I want to jump into things, and again, I'll remind everybody, if you're listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio, then the time of the broadcast was indeed February the 2nd of 2021, and uh, there was various things transpiring. In the first two hours, uh, I was discussing school systems that had run amok, and the current situation with the communications team of the current regime in the White House trying to get a heads up on what questions you'll ask. And I even talked back in the first hour about Donald Trump's official legal response to the impeachment efforts against him. All things that happened uh, on a Tuesday, February 2nd. There's some other things, too, that I wanted to get to today, and I, I simply have to continue talking in order to get them. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to try to get back on a more regular schedule, but I like having some bonus content. You may or may not get to hear this rebroadcast on terrestrial radio. If you do, it's going to be because either A, something went wrong with one of my other hours that I'm recording, or B... Uh, they decided to simply go ahead and air this one because they liked it better than an hour I did later in the week. <laughs> but uh, a lot of this, when you talk about new stuff like what we do here, it, it often feels like that window to discuss it just goes by so quickly. And when you are limited to just one hour uh, on a bro during a broadcast day, you have to choose carefully. And there's just so much to look at. So much to discuss, starting with the fact that I really wanted to give a shout-out to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, why, you may ask? Well, uh, on this past Tuesday, for those of you that are listening after the fact, actually today if you're here for the day of, well, on Tuesday... Ron DeSantis tore into big tech companies, calling them, quote, enforcers of preferred narratives, which I, I like that. That sounds like something I would say. Uh, the big tech companies are enforcers of preferred narratives whose economic interests are not in the public interest. In a lengthy speech announcing new legislation to protect the privacy and free speech rights of Floridians from Silicon Valley. So, um, 
saying here, the proclamation DeSantis made, quote, it's high time that we step up to the plate to ensure the protection of the people and their rights. Now, of course, DeSantis was speaking to reporters at a press conference with Republican leaders from the state legislature around him. The governor announced the new legislative effort to crack down on big tech, intending to limit social media companies' ability to sell user information to advertisers. It seems like that should flow better together. He wants to to cut down on social media companies' ability to sell users' information to advertisers for a profit and taking action to protect social media users amid accusations, we'll we'll use those journalistic terms, amid accusations that Facebook and Twitter engage in censorship of certain viewpoints or certain types of information. Quoting again, at the turn of the 21st century, online technology represented tools to liberate Americans from reliance on distrusted legacy media outlets. As social media proliferated over the past decade, citizens could directly connect with large numbers of people and could cut out corporate media outlets entirely. DeSantis continued saying, quote, over the years, however, these platforms have changed from neutral platforms that provided Americans with the freedom to speak to enforcers of preferred narratives. He also added, back to quoting, these platforms have played an increasingly decisive role in elections and have negatively impacted Americans who dissent from orthodoxies favored by the big tech cartel. Now, I think it's fair to say that DeSantos was voicing concerns that are shared by, well, we'll just say a lot of conservatives and Republicans, too. Not that that they're the same thing, although the folks on the left like to lump us all together. Uh, To be a Republican does not automatically make you a conservative, and to be a conservative doesn't automatically make you a Republican. But anyway, these are concerns shared by a whole heap and mess of uh, conservatives and Republicans alike that these social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, pretty much anything associated with Google, well, they've kind of grown to the point where they're just a smidge too powerful and that they have just a little too much control over the spread of information, at least on the Internet. So DeSantis also criticized that these websites, uh, well, he he criticized them for their seemingly arbitrary enforcement action against conservative content, uh, for deplatforming users secretively without telling them which terms of services they violated beforehand, or for engaging in viewpoint discrimination and holding double standards for content moderation and uh, for potentially manipulating elections by controlling the spread of information. Uh, Again, we're using a lot of journalistic protective speech here, aren't we? 
the bottom line, there's not a single thing in those statements that's not true, completely, totally accurate. Put a bullseye up, he just hit it dead center of that bullseye with a little Nerf gun that can't hurt anybody. That's, that's the ammunition we're rocking here. No, no calls for violence here. It's not an insurrection, guys. Calm down. But it is a bit of a revolution, figuratively speaking. DeSantis is legitimately becoming the first conservative voice to really take action. DeSantis is kind of moving himself into a position where uh, should Donald Trump not be impeached, which, by the way, isn't very likely, but should he decide not to run for president again, DeSantos is kind of putting himself in a position where he, he could be a really tough-to-beat Republican primary kind of guy. This step alone, I mean, opening up like he did against the pandemic, saving the Florida economy like he did, uh, managing things as well as he have uh, with the per capita destruction of COVID-19 running rampant in left-controlled states, DeSantis, who's been more open than most, has managed it quite nicely. And now this is going to resonate quite strongly with conservatives around the country, and even even some folks that's not quite that conservative. Every accusation he made against the tech giants is completely accurate. They are completely arbitrary in their enforcement. They are very distinctively ready to pounce against conservative content. They don't treat violators of the community standards the same if you happen to be of a leftist bent. Now, they have occasionally handpicked a few token folks to say, oh, well, we did it to this person. But then what about all these other people over here that have incited violence, that have called for people to throw the Covington kids into a wood chipper? You know, what about those guys? Have they been removed from the platform? No, their tweets are even still up. What about the Ayatollah Khomeini? Uh, uh, have you banned his account? Or No, no, you're still letting him uh, deny the Holocaust, and you're still letting him spout the fact that uh, the little Satan and the big Satan have to be destroyed. Uh, by the way, Twitter, um, that that big Satan, uh, that's the United States of America and everyone living in it. Important to know that kind of, um, you know, contextual information. Important thing to know. Just saying. Holding this double standard and then manipulating the spread of information. The Hunter Biden laptop story is the greatest single uh, bit of uh, evidence to that. Literally preventing it from being shared. Blocking the content. Banning 
locking out accounts of legitimate, even in some cases, legacy news outlets that were reporting a side section to the story, but didn't want that little bit of information out because it might eventually lead you to finding out the truth. Well, we can't let you interfere in a potential election by sharing information. So we must stop that information. Because what happened after the fact, we discovered, thanks to legitimate polling, that a lot of folks that are kind of slightly left of center, not the hardcore leftists, not the Marxist revolutionaries, just slightly left of center, uh, I think a majority of Democratic voters fall into that category, a bunch of them had never heard about it. And when they did finally hear the truth about it, they said it probably would have changed how they voted. Enough of them responded that it would have changed how they voted enough to make a difference, even with the numbers we're expected to believe were the results of the 2020 election. So I don't know about you, but that seems like a bit much, right? Seems a little over the top. Seems like that might have been the problem. So uh, the truth is there. DeSantis, in this speech, cited multiple examples of overreach by social media content moderators, including the censorship of criticism of coronavirus lockdowns, banning the sitting U.S. president. At that point in time, that was John Donald John Trump. You know, the orange man who is bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist. Yeah, yeah, that guy. The suppression of the New York Post bombshell Hunter Biden story. Yeah, that's the Biden laptop story. And the decapitation of Parler, a Twitter alternative popular with President Trump supporters that was kicked offline by Amazon Web Services for purportedly failing to impose satisfactory content moderation. Translation, you're allowing things on your platform that Facebook and Twitter wouldn't. That's the real problem. Now, I had wished the fine folks at Parler had learned from the fine folks over at Gab. Because they went through the same thing. They, in order to get back up and going, had to put in place their own servers. They had to become their own host. Something that a lot of these major outlets that are kind of more to the private side but lean to the right, uh, places like The Blaze and The Daily Wire and The Daily Caller and even The Federalist, which... Eh, leans a little too close to the um, the old school blue blood Republican uh, part of the party uh, on a multitude of occasions. They've got some great writers over there with a lot of great conservative content, but then they also have some folks that are, well, borderline, if not all the way, never Trumpers and. Uh, they just want to see a return to the Republicans that are just a bunch of wimps and always lose to the Democrats uh, in policy battles, even when they have uh, the control. 
never know how to govern because they refuse to. They want to see a return to that. They've got some of those books, but even even someone like them could be facing the need to have their own servers and their own networks well established so that access may continue. So if you are a fan of any of those outlets, you may want to go ahead and subscribe to their subscription services. If you're a fan of this show, you may want to go ahead and uh, boogie on over to tapintothetruth.com and uh, hit the little PayPal link while PayPal will still let you do that. Uh, They'll probably be coming for us soon. Uh, and make contributions so I can continue and maybe even uh, have to build my own servers and all that wonderful stuff. I mean, it certainly could happen. But yeah, I had wished that Parler had learned from them, but... (sighs) Back to quoting from the speech. Big Big Tech has come to look more like Big Brother with each passing day. DeSantis also accused the tech companies of holding monopoly power over the essentially important control of uh, public discourse, the forum for public discourse. And that is where we start to kind of run into some trouble. Because while you can easily make the case that, um, that Twitter and Facebook are private companies and can do whatever. And I'm actually on board with that under two conditions. Condition number one is they do have to decide, are they a platform or are they a publisher? If they're a publisher and they're going to take editorial responsibility, so be it. They get to do that. They need to change their terms of service. They need to make it clear. But they also need to lose their uh, Section 203 protections. They don't get protected anymore if they're going to be a publisher. They've got to take full control and be responsible for what's set, period. If they're going to be a platform, then they need to keep the protections because they reasonably don't have control as a platform for other speakers, for other publishers, which, guess what? Every time you publish something on Facebook, technically, by the original terms of service, uh, there or Twitter, you are a published author at that point. That's you publishing on their platform. Now, they still get to establish rules. But if they're a platform, they should have some legal protections. Okay, if they're going to be the publisher, no longer a platform, then they don't get those legal protections because they're responsible at that point. That's where the difference is. And this other section is you're going to make these community rules. You're going to set these guidelines. You're going to enforce them. Enforce them the same across the board. And again, I'm okay. But this seeps back to this very concept, this very notion that they're not just a private company anymore, are they? They have positioned themselves to the point that they have become the public square. They have become where the city crier goes and spreads the information, brings the knowledge to your dome. They are where people like me go to to make sure that you can follow what I'm saying, can hear what I've got to say, where I can express myself, where I can have free speech. Stop stop saying that 
reducing my reach is not affecting free speech. It does. That's just a really crappy bumper sticker, and it's not a very good one because it's factually wrong. Whether they wanted to be or not, and oh yes, they wanted to be. Make no mistake about it. Whether they wanted to be or not, but they did. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these other little... I say little. I wish I had a a portion of the worth these companies have. All these social media outlets. They have become the public square, for better or for worse. So they don't get to just decide anymore. They are, under that circumstance, required to continue the service they're providing. Free speech belongs there. So, yes, what DeSanto said here, they have monopoly power over this centrally important form of public discourse. That has become the truth as well. And they wanted to be. They wanted the discourse to come there because that's where they get more users. That's where they make their money because they have more people to advertise to, more people to collect information on, more people that they can sell that information about to want to be advertisers. He continued, though, nameless, faceless boards of censors are violating the free speech rights of Floridians, and big tech is not entitled to track your every move. It's a good idea to have a VPN, but in Florida, at least, they've recognized you shouldn't have to have a VPN. He said that our founding fathers were deliberate in the enshrinement of our rights in the Constitution to ensure that we, the people, were guaranteed protection against those wishing to violate our rights. Ironically, our early founders were most concerned with the tyranny of government in deciding these rights. But today, the big tech oligarchy has in many ways become a clear and more present danger to the restriction of the rights of free speech that the government itself. DeSantos went on to say, quote, Silicon Valley CEOs wield extraordinary power to the point of holistically controlling the flow of vast swaths of information in our country. In a matter of hours, a business can be dismantled, a community of friends and colleagues canceled, and even a sitting president of the United States silenced. By their own admission, social media companies view themselves as platforms of global, regional, and local connectivity. Make no mistake, they are nothing more than advertising conglomerates, and I'm not interested in handing over the keys to the public square to a bunch of companies whose economic interests are not aligned with the public interest. Now, the governor unveiled several legislative proposals that state Republicans will attempt to pass to crack down on the unfair practices by big tech companies. Uh, Some of them include requiring social media platforms to give proper notice 
and disclosure of changes to their content standards or terms of service and provide full disclosure of any actions taken against a user for violating their standards. Now, for the average user, that's not going to make a whole bunch of difference. It's really not because the average user of the social media platform very rarely read those terms of service anyway. They don't care. If you're somebody like myself who can utilize social media to try to help monetize what we do here, make a little bit of money on the side, make a little scratch, maybe pay a bill early, wouldn't that be great for the economy? If you're somebody in that position, these are huge. I'm looking at YouTube right now in particular. Uh, Some of the changes that they've made for violating the standards, that would be huge. Another one of the recommendations, prevent social media platforms from rapidly changing these standards and applying them unequally against users. Meaning, if you go in and you wipe out somebody for inflammatory language, then you had better not have the Ayatollah uh, engaging in anti-Semitism that you're just leaving there. I can get behind that. Again, I am okay with these folks censoring as long as they're censoring everyone in the same fashion. Provide users the option to opt out of the various algorithms these platforms use to steer content or suppress content from the view of other users. Provide users the ability to bring lawsuits against tech companies and empower the Florida Attorney General to bring actions against a tech company for violations of these requirements under Florida's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. Now, he also announced several other proposals to ensure that each tech company... uh, Do not engage in political manipulation. You know, by doing little things like, I don't know, manipulating news content, uh, designing algorithms to give the upper hand to their candidate of choice. You know, little things like that. Web hosting, the payment process, uh, take away your email, your text. Uh, You could totally neuter a candidate's ability to communicate and uh, execute a campaign plan. DeSantis said exactly that. So his proposals there included imposing a daily $100,000 fine on a tech company that deplatforms a candidate for elected office in Florida during an election until the candidate's access to that platform is restored. If a tech company promotes one candidate for office against another, the value of that free promotion must be recorded as a political campaign contribution enforced by the Florida Election Commission. If a tech company uses algorithms to support or prioritize the access of any content related to a political cause or candidate on the ballot, that company will face daily fines. DeSantis said that the message is loud and clear. When it comes to elections in Florida, big tech should stay out of it. You know, I got to say, I'm, I'm digging what DeSantis said there. 
it, it falls more in line with what should be happening, what should be going on. Every state needs to pass it if the federal government won't. Every state needs to take action to prevent this type of ongoing interference in our ability to utilize these platforms as they were first intended. Just saying. All right, I've uh, went a little long in this first segment for this hour. So let's do the Edwards Notebook and the uh, Veterans Tip of the Day. And, uh, you know, good gun, bad guys, uh, PSA. Uh, You guys stay where you're at. I'll be back right after this break. Despite the threat against our way of life, be the biased leftist media, the government school system, lying preachers, etc., a new day of greatness shall soon dawn here in America. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the leftists have been trying to destroy our beloved republic ever since the founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. They understood that we, the people, were destined by God Almighty to be free and to enjoy the benefits of liberty. For God gave us brains to make decisions and get things done without the egotistical control freaks trying to control us from cradle to grave. I foresee an outbreak of true morality throughout the land as more and more of our fellow countrymen and women realize that in order to be truly free, we must be influenced by and put into practice the high moral standards which long ago came from God Almighty. Just know that America's enemies around the world and domestically strutting their stuff will soon collapse in utter defeat and big-time disappointment as America will truly be great again. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospitals throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. We often find ourselves arguing statistics with anti-gun people, but let's put the conversation into perspective. I'll give you some stats, but also expose the anti-gun left's real motives for gun control. First of all, don't you think that anyone who really wants to save lives would focus their attention on an area where the most lives are lost? The gun grabbers like to use the number of 30 to 40,000 gun-related deaths per year, but if we take out suicides, which are 60% of those gun-related deaths, which, by the way, are not reduced by the absence of guns, and we take out law enforcement-related deaths, in other words, good guys killing bad guys, we're left with about 14,880 gun-related homicides. But here's where it gets interesting. The majority of those gun-related homicides are gang-related. So let's say we didn't have the gang problem we have in this country. The number of gun-related homicides shrinks to 2,976 per year in America. Here's another interesting fact that the anti-gun left doesn't want you to know. 
the majority of gang-related violence occurs in Democrat-run cities across this country that are highly gun-restricted, by the way, and often allow violent illegals safe harbor. What that means is good people living within those cities are denied their right to protect themselves against the human violence that Democrats encourage with their bad policies. Now let's compare that to some other things that the anti-gun left could be working on if they really wanted to save lives. Drunk driving takes almost 11,000 lives per year in America. 47,000 lives are lost per year in America due to suicide, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia being two of the leading causes of suicide, not guns. But one of the biggest causes of preventable deaths in America is abortion. Almost 330,000 lives are taken per year in America by people committing abortion. Now let me give you a piece of information that the anti-self-defense crowd doesn't want you to know. How many lives do you think are saved every year because of guns? The answer is two and a half million. Every year in America, two and a half million lives are potentially saved by the use of firearms. Now this doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. And 46% of those lives saved are women. This is a study that was done by Gary Kleck, a Florida criminologist, and backed by data from the CDC. So why do you think the gun grabbers never share this information? Well, some would argue that they don't really care about saving lives as much as they care about disarming their fellow citizens and preventing them from independently protecting themselves and their families. Gun control is a top-down method that puts government in charge of the lives and safety of people under the guise of public safety. It's the first step in stealing the freedom our founders fought for. The anti-left has already decided that they are willing to give up their freedom to government. The problem is they can't have their government-controlled utopian society unless you get on board and real Americans are clearly not getting on board. Gun control is a way of forcing you into dependence, whether you like it or not. Now, we're never going to cure the evil in the hearts of killers, but we can stop them. So, to the gun grabbers, do you really want to save lives? Then get to work on the real causes of human violence and help us restore our gun rights so good people can protect themselves. Help us save lives rather than ending them before they get a chance to take their first breath. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Thanks for staying with me through that very brief break. 
Once again, we have managed to reacquire Signal. We are back in action. We are ready. We are having a blast. Or, you know, it's funny we should say blast considering uh, the topic of the last PSA. (laughs) We are indeed tapping into the truth. Yeah, thanks for being here. I, I don't say it enough, but I really do appreciate you guys tagging along for the ride uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you are well well into the third hour of the live uh, broadcast uh, if you're listening on terrestrial radio uh, then thank you so very much for tuning in daily and letting these uh, folks know with the radio stations that you're enjoying the show and you know let some other folks know if you know of an independent uh, radio station in particular that's looking for some good conservative talk uh, but they'll settle for me uh, let them know about the show and uh, you know all that good stuff in the meanwhile i've got to get uh, one more topic in tonight in order to feel like i have accomplished my goals for the day Again, uh, for those of you that are listening, if you are getting the rebroadcast, important to note that the time uh, that I was behind the microphone uh, giving my dissertation this evening uh, was on February the 2nd of 2021. Um, Wanted to bring this to your attention. This is one of those stories that's probably going to get a fair amount of attention, but it's also probably going to go away very quickly because there's so many things going on in the vein of... All the push coming from Operation P-Pads and Knee-Pads, a.k.a. the Biden-Harris administration. In this case, President Biden's new deputy spokeswoman for the State Department uh, has said as recently as 2016 in a Facebook post that the largest threat to the U.S. national security are U.S. cops, not ISIS. Not Russian hackers, not anyone or anything else. That's the quote. Put that on Facebook. Now, she also asserted that there was a genocide against blacks in America also. Just just so you know where she's coming from. Okay? Now that that we know who Jelena is, uh, Miss Porter, Jelena Porter, uh, who reports to the State Department spokesman Ned Price. She made those comments while she was serving as a communications official for the left-wing Truman National Security Project. Now, this was accepted behavior for those folks. Now, this same Truman National Security Project, just FYI, once upon a time, they also employed someone you may be familiar with, uh, a, a young rapscallion by the name of Hunter. Uh, yes, uh, Hunter Biden. Now, talking back about Miss Porter, she served as a senior aide in the congressional office of Louisiana Democratic Republic, uh, I'm sorry, Democratic Representative uh, Cedric Richmond also, and had been formerly employed as a dancer for the Oakland Raiders of the NFL and the Washington Wizards of the NBA. So, you know, obviously she's athletic. Obviously she's coordinated. Obviously... Uh, she's had a lot of exposure to some left 
thinking type folks as well. Now, none of that is a knock on her. I mean, I there are a ton of extremely talented people who are capable of doing really good athletic feats, okay? And uh, whether you're talking about sports or you're talking about dancing or you're talking about gymnastics or you're talking about, well, I guess that would technically be a sport, uh, you know, not to... Not to be redundant here, but I'm just trying to make a point. There's a lot of really athletically talented people who also can be very intelligent, uh, maybe very eloquent as well. You know, they're they're not all uh, bubble-headed morons the way sometimes we see them depicted in popular media. In fact, I, I don't think that's even okay to do in popular media anymore. Oh, you're just a jock. I'm plenty smart, but I think I hurt myself. Can you give me the number to 911? We're not allowed to do that kind of thing anymore, right? Unless he's a southern white guy. Then he can be beefy and still be a meathead. I guess that's still okay, according to everything I see uh, in media today. But anyway... The point being that just because she was a dancer for the Oakland Raiders and for the Washington Wizards, that's not mentioned here to be a slight. It's mentioned to show that she actually has a diverse background on her resume. You know, senior aide uh, for uh, Cedric Richmond. Uh, That's reasonably impressive in the world of politics. Uh, Having been a dancer they don't just bring in anybody off the street it's not like she was an exotic dancer here uh, this was professional dancing uh, it, yeah it, it's worth noting she's got a very diverse background however she proved that she is probably not the brightest uh, i mean i'm sorry you hate the police really Porter wrote back on September 20th of 2016, uh, quote, An unarmed black man takes a knee for justice. Bigots riot. An unarmed black man takes a knee with his hands raised. Takes a bullet and dies. Those same bigots are silent. Explain this to me, please. Okay, well, I'll explain to you that uh, both of those situations were a lie. Uh, They did not take any. (laughs) Just saying. Okay, so the largest threat, back to quoting, uh, back to quoting this uh, brilliant young lady again. Uh, The largest threat to U.S. national security are U.S. cops, not ISIS, not Russian hackers, not anyone or anything else. If y'all don't wake up and raise to this wake up and raise i'm sorry wake up and rise it probably would have made more sense but even that doesn't fit anyway if y'all don't wake up and rise to the truth the genocide against blacks in america will continue until we are near extinct 
That's not the world I seek to live in or create for myself or those around me. I am calling out the majority because this means you need to take action in your communities, churches, classrooms, and with your members of Congress. We can't do this alone. Yeah, that's right. You can't. You know why? Because if it was simply a democracy, you'd never get a seat at the table. You wouldn't. That's the problem with a democracy. The whole reason we were supposed to have a republic is because it protects minority voices. It kind of evens the playing field a bit. That was the whole point. Every time that you argue to get rid of the Electoral College, you are basically making the argument that the majority should rule. There should be no protections for minority voices. That's what you're arguing against. Most of you aren't even bright enough to figure that part out. Instead, you come up with some convoluted argument of why the voters in Montana should count more than the voters in California. You don't. That's not how that works. I've seen the math. I've seen the arguments made. I get why you, if you don't truly understand the purpose of the Electoral College and how it works, might even believe that. But I promise you, an overwhelming majority of the people that are trying to convince you of that lie do know. But they're just trying to count on you being too dumb to figure it out. You ought to be mad at them, not me. (laughs) But I know who you're going to be mad at. And I assure you, madam, there is no genocide against blacks in America. Uh, You're worried about uh, being nearly extinct? Your percentage within the country continues to rise, not to lessen. Total number of unarmed black men shot and killed by police officers last year Six. And that is only if we utilize the term unarmed as to mean not having a firearm. Because three of those six had a knife. Two of the remaining three had a fake gun. And the one remaining outlier was running around crazy and come running right up at him and was kind of a big guy, still presented a physical threat. So you know how many the year before last year? Strangely enough, six again. Scenario being a little different as four of those folks were armed. It just wasn't a firearm. Huh. That's that's a real genocide you got going on there, ma'am. Really? Hmm. And by the way, I'm sorry, did you run this by Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or even AOC? I, I'm just curious because this whole Russian hacker thing, they may not like you saying that cops are a bigger threat than Russian hackers. Now, they're probably okay with you saying they're a bigger threat than ISIS. That, come on, we know how much the Democrats are afraid of Russians at this point. I mean, it might as well be the Brady Bunch. Russia, Russia, Russia. Sheesh. 
Yes, you can't do this alone. And if you ever embrace and actually get a democracy in its true form, you'll never be heard from again. You'll never be granted a platform. Because guess what? You're never going to be the majority. Never. Because the people that you're aligning yourself with, they've got other plans, ma'am. They do. They want to silence me first because I've got conservative values because I love the Constitution because I think the Constitution is a pretty daggum good document. That it means a whole heck of a lot. I like the ideas of individual liberty. I like the idea of all my fellow Americans living and breathing free. I like the idea of us being able to get along. And that is a notion that an overwhelming majority of people who think a lot like me, that would fall into the same political category as me, which I tend to think is the majority of people that claim the mantle of conservative. They also feel that way. They're willing to let you live and let live. They just ask for the same in return. They ask for you to stop getting so upset over a microaggression because I don't know if you realize this or not, but about 99% of so-called microaggressions is you just looking to be super sensitive. If I say something that isn't the least bit or even remotely actually racist, but you want to try and make it into something that's racist because I'm using a dog whistle or coded language, maybe maybe all that stuff is up inside your head. Oh, I'm smart. I know what you're up to, you wily KKK member. You you probably wear a hood half of the time when you're doing their show. I know you, Tim Tap. We can't do this alone. Black genocide in America. Nah, not really. You need to learn what the word means. Now... Porter, of course, when she said the the men who took a knee, she was, of course, talking about uh, everyone's favorite former NFL quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, kneeling, of course, to protest the national anthem, uh, a protest that he started on September 1st of 2016 because he found out he wasn't going to have his contract renewed but had to pretend like it was something else. Yeah. And then also the shooting of Terrence Crutcher by a Tulsa, Oklahoma police officer on September 16th in 2016. Now, Kaepernick, of course, was first noticed sitting during the national anthem by reporters on August 26th. He started on September 1st, was noticed on August 26th, before San Francisco's preseason home game against Green Bay, telling NFL media after the game, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. Translation, I'm never going to get to play in this league again because I refuse to not be a starter and I refuse to sign a contract where I'm not getting paid like a starter and no team in this league is going to pay a backup starter money, at least not long term. Now, if you brought him in to be the starter and he 
just can't do it. You bench him. That's a different story. Can't just break the contract. <laughs> As I'm sure you remember, we talked about it quite a bit here. Kaepernick also wore socks with policemen depicted as pigs and wore a T-shirt that was emblazoned with a picture of communist tyrant Fidel Castro. And this uh, Crutcher, he, he was shot by Tulsa police officer Betty Jo Shelby. She was found not guilty of first-degree manslaughter in 2017, um, reported by the Associated Press. Those were the two examples she was using in this case. Now, the point is, this is where the Biden administration sits. These are the people the Biden administration are hiring. This person is a deputy spokeswoman for the State Department. For the State Department. Last time I checked, that was kind of an important place. An important thing to do. An important job to have. It's where your international policy takes place. But when your international policy is being communicated by people who think that your law enforcement officers are the biggest threat to national security, and she probably also believes that man-caused climate change is an existential crisis, you know, rather than something that occurs naturally that's not actually man-caused, although we may have some impact. Nature's a bit stronger than we like to think, and we're not quite as consequential unto the world as some would like to believe. But, um, you know, the whole notion that climate change at all that might just be a natural occurrence that all throughout history mankind has adjusted to? No, no, no. That's not a possibility. That can't be real. No, no, no. That's silly talk. So it's a State Department populated with left-leaning Marxist revolutionaries who really have no idea what a precious gift the founders of this nation and the framers of the Constitution really gave us when they did the hard part. They did the heavy lifting. They took a band of farmers and beat a world of power in order to bring the idea of self-governance and individual liberty to a people, in order to light a flame, to be a light into the rest of the world. Now, people like that have no comprehension of what this nation truly stands for, what it truly represents, and really no understanding of why so many people from everywhere else around the world still wants to come here, even in the current shape we're in, because it's still better than most of the rest of the world for economic reasons or for security reasons or for just dadgum pretty places to look at reasons. American exceptionalism is still a real thing, although these folks are trying their damnedest to end it, aren't they? Well, oh well. That's going to have to be it for me today. That will be the end of the broadcast. So, again, thank you very much for being here. Remember, don't take my word for it. Not in one little bit. Don't take the other guy's word for it either. Take a little time, do your research, do your homework, but most importantly, use your brain if you really 
want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, you guys stay safe out there, stay healthy, and uh, for the love of Pete, uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. That's it for me. I'm out for now. We'll be back Wednesday live on BTR, uh, most likely with my good friend Ron Edwards. That's usually the deal. I'll see you then. I hope I'm out. in both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Maloney, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands.